Well, as you know, I've been uh, Chief Executive of ANZ for a little over five years, and before that I was the Chief Financial Officer for three, and so I've spent eight years uh, really thinking about bank strategy, but also talking to a lot of our investors over that period of time. And, you know, there's been a lot of change in eight years, but one of the most fundamental changes has been the rise of interest in the whole area of ESG. You know, eight years ago, it was something people were vaguely interested in. It might come up at the end of a meeting. Today, I would say that most of our meetings start at, uh, on ESG. Now, uh, and that's why uh, ANZ thinks deeply about ESG and the way it fits in with our own business strategy. But one of the most respected voices in the market around this whole area of ESG and investment is Nathan Parkin, who I'm speaking with today. Well known in the market, in particular for a really successful 12-year stint at Perpetual, where amongst other responsibilities, he had carriage of the Ethical SRI Fund, which was recognised by the market with a number of awards. Nathan has operated across the spectrum of the equities market. And in late 2017, uh, he and a colleague established Ethical Partners Funds. And I'm really fortunate to have Nathan with me here today. Welcome, Nathan. Thanks, Shane. Really appreciate uh, the chance to be here and thanks for the introduction. This whole ESG year has really increased in visibility in the last couple of years. I, I think, you know, in many ways we just take it, for, almost take it for granted now, but it has grown and broadened, not just more, there's, it's a broader definition in my mind anyway. So the conversation is far more widespread. It's broken out of the corporate world and it's really mainstream now, whether that is around diversity, climate change, obviously, human rights, uh, increasingly talking about things like biodiversity. Why do you think that trajectory has escalated so much and so quickly? Yeah, good question, Shane. And you know, I, re I really think that the events of the past few years um, have exposed the cracks. So, you know, we're looking at the pandemic. Uh, we're looking at various political movements around the world. Uh, we're looking at the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and even the recent IPCC report. So I think it just became increasingly clear that the pendulum swung way too far in one direction um, in regards to inequality, opportunity, depletion of resources, financial disparity, uh, and a whole bunch of other things that in, in, in some ways that move was just kind of way overdue. Um, I think there's a sense out there that this massive disruption that we've had um, has given the people um, around the world this, this chance to reimagine a different perspective and probably this idea of building back better um, and a better appreciation for nature, um, health, and also the risks of mistreating those things. Um, I think the voices of youth uh, are out there particularly um, you know, loud at the moment, and, and that's a great thing. You see a whole bunch of other generations, you know, listening um, to the youth and, you know, and, and just being conscious of leaving a better world for our kids. There's been tremendous technological change and advances here as well that allow us to solve some of these issues. So, you know, a reliance on fossil fuels that's been around for 50 or 100 years, there are now technologies to solve some of that as well. So um, it's becoming increasingly important that I think businesses... Um, just find, you know, just just incorporate ESG into their into their normal business planning. Um, so it's no longer a side issue that people think about, you know, after work, and it'd be a nice thing to do. We we just think it's increasingly um, 
you know, going to be in the middle of business and, and that idea that, you know, ESG is, is philanthropy or something else has moved well into the core of business and saying, well, how can I use my core business um, to, to run things more responsibly or create opportunities or, or indeed uh, avoid risk? Um, the other aspect of that argument, of course, is that global capital flows are, are moving out of areas now more quickly than, than ever before. Um, and this idea that government policy, I mean, we have got a, a very rapidly changing regulatory regime, but the idea that government policy can, you know, stick a finger in the dike and stop the dam bursting on some of these issues is, is really been, you know, it, it's pro that's probably part that idea. And so capital flows have moved, and, and in some respects, government policy is racing to catch up with that. Um, and so we, you know, we think that the other reason that these things have, have bubbled to the surface so much is that, you know, global global capital flows um, are, are are and have moved um, more rapidly than what people thought they might. Yeah, no, it's interesting you, 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 you say that. I mean, I, there are still those out there, and I get a few emails with this uh, theme of that, sort of see this thing as a binary choice. I, we're, either, we're either running a business or we're doing uh, ESG and, and, and caring about the community and that somehow one comes at the cost of the other. Now, of course, ESG principles are at the heart of your investment framework. So how do you guys marry up, you know, strong, decent return focus? Because, you know, you've still got to generate returns for your, for your fund holders with your ESG framework. And how do you, how do you make sense of that? Yeah, well, uh, it's a really good point. We think it's it's really the same thing. So, you know, we uh, when we started off um, ethical partners, we deliberately made a decision to put ESG factors into our investment process. Um, we think that the companies that are very conscious of being responsible in a in a social way, in a human rights way, in an environmental sense, um, usually have good governance to to back that. Um, and they're really the same thing. So why wouldn't a more responsible and socially aware business have more success? And so we, we felt that marrying up those traditional fundamental um, things that investors normally look at, like cash flow and balance sheet and interviewing management teams and boards, um, with, with some ESG components in the process on how we assess companies, um, was going to, you know, was going to uh, deliver good risk-adjusted returns over the longer term. Um, and with, that's certainly um, how we've seen that develop. Um, you know, so so I guess why why the, what are the broad reasons we do that? Um, you know, we think it's about identifying those risks and opportunities, um, systematically. You know, talking to people about their approach to um, capital and people management. It's it's those companies that are more aware of you know future trends. Um, and in their business decisions, understanding what their customers want and need. Um, and it's understanding the regulatory and legal landscape um, to incorporate that before, you know, there's some radical policy shift that, that maybe business gets caught off guard. Um, so we think that the, the successful businesses will, will do this and, and increasingly um, be aware of it. There are so many examples now of those companies that, you know, are managing things really well in these respects um, that have created good value for shareholders. And of course, you know, we're all aware of those companies out there that haven't done that, failed that character. And it usually follows through in financial performance and shareholder returns 
ultimately, it may not do that in the immediate short term, but ultimately those businesses that haven't paid heed to to the, their customers, um, you know, the wider community, their employees, their supply chains, um, usually come unstuck over a period of time. In your line of work, I guess there are some industries that you literally just put a line through and say they're not for us, right? Without getting into the details necessarily, but it'd be interesting just to understand the framework you have for it. How would you make those decisions? And what are the kinds of things you look at in determining, hey, that industry's just not for us? Yeah, that, that's um, it's a critical area of, you know, not everyone's ethics gonna be the same. So, you know, to rule things out on that basis, uh, sometimes a tough choice, but we're, we're looking at what our clients um, want to invest in. Um, but a lot of our clients won't, you know, don't want their capital invested in in some specific industries. They don't want their capital to be supporting growth in those industries. They don't necessarily want to receive dividends from those industries. Um, and everyone's, you know, ethics are going to be slightly different, but we usually have a pretty good crossover. Um, so, you know, the, the industries um, that we're generally avoiding include fossil fuels and gambling and alcohol and weapons and tobacco and things like that. Um, and we also look at, um, you know, uh, country risk. So, you know, we, we exclude the bottom 30% in our wholesale fund uh, of companies operating in countries where there's a really high level of bribery and corruption risk. So we, we think those things are, are important for transparency. Um, we think they're important for human rights practice, um, but they'll ultimately be important for shareholder returns. Um, at the same time. So, you know, we think that it's possible, and, and we've shown this, um, that you can generate good risk-adjusted returns without supporting some of those industries um, that our clients are saying, well, we just rather, if we can generate those returns without investing in those areas, no, we're okay with that. We have funds that will rule those, some industries off at 0%. Uh, we've got clients that will rule some things off at 10% of revenue. Um, but what we do try and do is, is not take a wholesale approach to things like mining and agriculture. So th these are some of the you know, hard to abate emissions, high emissions industries in Australia in particular. Yeah. Um, you know, Partners has you know, half a billion dollars invested in mining companies and their transition commodities and others that you know, may, uh, may well be able to mine at net zero emissions and they are producing you know, really uh, critical commodities for electric electrifying world, um, you know, agriculture as well. So, you know, that, that is a, a debate within ethical investing circles. You know, it's a hard to abate area, it's bad, but, you know, some of those companies are going to be key to solving these issues on a much broader basis than just ruling out ruling them out. Um, so some of the companies that we're investing in the ag space are, are developing uh, technologies and programs that will solve some of the emissions problems for that whole sector, ultimately. And so that's really exciting, and 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 for us, it's you know it's about that opportunity set as well. Now, of course, um, one of the beauties of uh, taking a purely financial perspective on investing is it's kind of easy, right? You can get out the spreadsheet, get out your Excel spreadsheet, pump in the numbers, and you know it's it's, it's transparent. You can apply filters and do all sorts of relatively simple numeric analysis. How, when you get into this whole area of ESG, it's 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 hard, right? It's complicated, and you know I, I take the point about industry. But even in a good industry, you can have good and bad players, to your point about ethics or the way they run uh, their company. Yeah. So how do, you, how do you do that? And then, you know, um, down to disclosures, right? Like, you know, how would you 
how do you know? How, and, and do you have any views on where you think companies could do a better job with disclosures? Yeah, so we, we have a, a systematic way of looking at some issues um, across all the spectrum of ASX companies that, that we consider are, you know, appropriate for investment. Um, so we will look at country risk on every business. We will look at human rights risk. Um, and we're thinking about things like, you know, modern slavery risks. So we're looking at transparency around supply chains. We're looking at um, grievance mechanisms. Um, you know, all of the things that encompass human rights considerations in a business. We'll look at environmental, you know, just transition carbon emissions um, targets around some of this. So I think we try to uh, normalise some of those things right across all, all industries. Um, and then we interrogate boards and, and management teams around, well, what do you really think? You know, report says this, what have you done? Where are you going with it? What's your understanding of it? What's, uh, you know, how many people on the board have had uh, sustainability training as one measure? Um, so I guess the, the, the way we, we try to cut through what might otherwise be called greenwashing is to see where people really believe what they say. You know, to the extent that we can uh, marry up practice with policy and reporting, you know, that's critical in, in, how, uh, in how we assess that and how we get to the bottom of some of those areas that, you know, might just look really great. Um, there's been a number of times where we've, we've sat in front of people, say, your report says this, and they said, oh, well, does it? You know, and... and it's clear that they haven't really bought into that. Maybe someone in the business has written that. Um, maybe they don't really own the outcomes. So, you know, we, we think that that part of, you know, that's where traditional, you know, meeting with teams and ESG can, re can really be uh, very, very useful. You know, you, you know, it's likely that people running a business and a board will know about the balance sheet and how much debt you have and, and what your exposures are in a lending sense but they may not be up to speed on, on some of the ESG initiatives in the business. And we often see there's, there's some disconnect. Is there a, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, again, the, the, the difference with um, financials, I mean, financial reporting is supported by a whole bunch of standards and audits and, you know, robustness, whether companies want to disclose things or not, they're sort of compelled to and think about things in a certain way, right? Uh, and this sort of standardisation. And clearly there's some... There's been quite a big move around climate disclosures, and we, I don't, you know, we're not there yet, but that's clearly taking shape as a more standardised, acceptable way of disclosing. Any thoughts on other, you know, outside of climate change or emissions, and is any thought on that, you know, gender, I guess, we've sort of got some generally accepted ways of reporting it. Any thoughts on what might be next in that area where you think there might be or should be more standardisation around disclosures? Yeah, I think uh, we think about, you know, the, the future trends and the future areas of ESG that, that might be coming uh, more important um, over time. I mean, diversity within a business, not just gender, but other forms of diversity, you know, I think that when we think that will be an important area of disclosure and practice. Uh, there's a number of leading companies listed on the ASX that already do that. Um, we think biodiversity, biodiversity is is going to be really critical as well. And that whilst that sounds you know, complicated, it's just how you, how you draw on nature to run your business and how does nature affect you, but how do you affect nature? Um, that is going to 
been enormous area of, of growth. And, and we think in particular, you know, water risk, um, use of water, how you affect that, that's going to be, you know, an, an increasing uh, trend as well. And as you say, the, the climate disclosures and TCFD and, and other things that may become may well become standard, um, you know, regulation, practice, uh, and various boards are, you know, racing towards towards standardisation of some of those things. But the area continues to evolve um, probably more quickly than any other that, that we deal with. Um, in terms of financial and other types of reporting, this is an area that keeps moving. You know, you personally do a bit across the sort of not-for-profit space, and so that idea of giving back is clearly really important to you as, a, as an individual, and I imagine to your firm. How does your work in that space and what that exposes you to, how does that impact your day job as an ethical investor with the ethical partners? An important part of setting this business up was setting up a vehicle to give back as we grew from, from zero. And, um, you know, the business is well established now that the giving fund that we set up, the Tartri Giving Fund, is, a, is named after a small Cambodian village that we built a school in many years ago. Um, and that was a really important part of, of giving back. And it's, and it's donated to some tremendous causes. Um, so on youth, mental health, malnutrition, domestic violence, um, child aid, Education, human rights, healthcare, and family support are some of the some of the areas that we've uh, been able to support. And and just meeting with, interviewing, and and we put some of the interviews in the latest annual report that we did for the Giving Fund. We we're able to interview five different people who just spend their life giving to others and doing something really great in the world. And so that's inspiring. It's also personally rewarding to 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 read those and hear from those people and see what they're doing out there. Um, there's a tremendous amount of human spirit in those stories. We've, um, we've, uh, we've also set up a, an Ethical Partners um, Good Investing podcast. So we, we, we interview people ourselves that you know, are good in business and give back in some way. And we find that just this inspiring thing to do. It's, it's great to meet those people. They continue to drive you and, and their stories you know, drive us. The, um, the way that we, you know, we will advocate for ESG practices and, and policies at businesses that we invest in, you know. So we've taken that idea, and it, it is part of our our core business as well. And and so, you know, the, the way the money that we manage and and we're very privileged to do so can, you know, sometimes influence how responsible um, businesses can be, and and some of the practices that get introduced. So in a number of ways, we've we've tried to, you know. Um, have that in the business and have it in, in the, the giving fund that, that we launched early on. We, we plan to grow that uh, every year. Great. Well, that's a great way to finish up, um, Nathan, and I think it really well, it speaks well of your firm, obviously, and the, the sense of purpose and alignment um, that, that, that you have. And um, it's great to hear the way you think about these issues because, you know, in our conversations with our own customers, many of which will be people you invest in, I'm sure, you know, this has become an area of, great interest to many companies about how they have a bigger impact in a positive way on the community in which they operate. Uh, and, you know, I think well, in my life as an executive and, and just in work, it's become much more prevalent and, and sort of not just acceptable, but actually expected that people do consider their impact on uh, the broader environment and, and the community, et cetera. And uh, I guess it, you know, for, for ANZ, was partly what brought about this whole sense of uh, running a company that is purpose-driven. 
And, um, you know, we've really seen the benefits of that with our own people right, in terms of just, and I think, you know, where we're trying to do a better job is show exactly what you said, which this is not another thing we do. It's actually just embedded into our day-to-day -day business practices. And we're not there yet. We've still got some work to do, but I think that's what's really, really exciting about it. And I love the fact that you talked about, because I, I say the same thing here, this is not just about all the things we won't do. I, it's actually kind of the easy bit, actually. It's all the things we could do and will do in terms of actually the positive influence we can have through the allocation of capital and our own resources as an organisation to solve uh, meaningful problems for the community. Thank you very much for your time. It was a great discussion and, and good luck. And we'll, I'd love to catch up at some point in the future and, and talk again. Yeah, that'd be great, Shane. And thanks very much for your time today.